John. How are you doing? I'm really good, thank you, Casey. Yeah, how are you? Yep, I am wonderful, thank you. I'm raring to go and full of questions for you, so I hope you're ready. Fab. Well, we should definitely welcome audience first. So, hi, everyone. I, I see that we've gathered quite a following, which is uh, super exciting. So, obviously, everyone's enjoying listening to the great questions that you've got. So, I hope you've got some more for me today. Yep, full of them. <laughs> full of them. I wasn't worried about the audience. I was just thinking, I've got questions, John. Come on, give me the answers. <laughs> <laughs> that's for everyone's benefit not just yours <laughs> yeah I, I guess sorry for being selfish right <laughs> uh today I want to talk to you about mobile I've got lots of questions regarding mobile okay. um so first of all I think we you know we've covered networks we've covered the firewall we've covered endpoints um but what about my company issued phone how how am I protecting that well, I'm, first of all, I'm delighted that you've even asked the question because mobile is one of those things that people often forget about. Um, and actually, mobile devices, in some respects, they are at least an equivalent security risk to a standard endpoint, if not more of a security risk in some cases. So let me elaborate on that just a little bit. If you think about your, your company-issued phone, or even some people use their own devices, there's a lot of corporate data on there. You might be getting your emails, which have just heaps of really useful information in there. You might also be storing things like files and documents. And obviously your mobile device is a window into all of your corporate resources as well. So there's at least as much data on there if in not cases, you know, potentially more data than an endpoint. And mobiles have this really interesting challenge that they're quite small and they're very portable. So they get carried around places and it's not unknown for mobile devices to get lost. Um, I'm really glad to say, actually, in all the years of mobile ownership, I have never left a phone in a taxi cab. Uh, mm -hmm. But I know lots of people that have. Um, you don't have to admit whether you have one or Casey. But uh, I have not. Mine is far too attached to my hand. Uh, my friends and family would say <laughs> to, ever be, to ever be without it. <laughs> But you take the point that obviously, you know, that is a possibility. Absolutely. And and users also, interestingly, there's, there's a lot of research on this, actually. Users are significantly more inclined to click on things like phishing links because on a mobile device, for one, they're a bit more impulsive. Um, like you said, maybe you're distracted and you just you happen to have the handset in your in your hand and you think, oh, I'll just you know have a little look at that link or whatever. And and sometimes people actually think that they're somehow better protected on a mobile device. Um, so people tend to fall for phishing and click on links a little bit more readily on mobile devices. So you've got actually quite a lot of challenges that go alongside mobile. Mm -hmm. So then the question is, how do you protect? And the obvious answer to that question is using Sophos mobile technology to, to help you with that. So there's a couple of different ways that, that Sophos can help. The first actually is really to do with protection. Um, depending on the platform, and I don't want to get into an Android versus Apple debate here, but depending on the platform, some mobile devices are actually vulnerable to malware in the same way that an endpoint would be vulnerable. So it's really important to, to protect those devices, which, which are typically Android devices, um, from malware, just to make sure that we don't accidentally start running software on those devices that might be intent on doing us harm. So things like ransomware and things like malware do exist on mobile platforms as well. So having a next generation protection to be able to sit on there and protect against those things is, is, is really useful. 
Um, there are some other interesting things that we can do from a protection point as well. So we can look at applications and we can we can give you some guidance on the kind of privileges that an application is asking for. You know, if you've downloaded an app that's um, telling you about the local weather, for example, does it really need to know all of your contacts or does it need to have access to your files? You know, it might want your location so that it can work out where you are to give you an appropriate weather forecast, but it's not going to need access to those things. So applications that are overprivileged could be really suspicious. And this is a great way for cyber criminals to, to give you free applications that then start harvesting your data and that kind of thing. So we have a little bit of a view on, you know, what applications are allowed to access and, and what they're, they're blocked from accessing. Um, I don't know whether we talked about man in the middle when we were talking about wireless, but um, just in case you, just in case we didn't cover it, um, another interesting challenge. Obviously, with a mobile device, you might take it to a to a coffee shop or a, a retail location or somewhere public. And if a cyber criminal has been super smart and stood up a wireless network that is really just there to to collect users so that they can intercept all of their transactions, then then. The Sophos mobile protection has this really neat ability to see whether your um, your, your wireless traffic is being intercepted in one of these kind of man-in-the-middle attacks. Um, so it can flag that up and uh, hopefully discourage the user from continuing to, to operate on that network. So there's there's a whole bunch of stuff just simply from a protection point of view that's, that's really important to look at. Um, and like I said, it's an often overlooked um, attribute and, and uh, characteristic of the overall view of cybersecurity defense. And people forget these things that they, they need coverage. Um, and then you've also got the, the mobile compliance angle as well. So you mentioned, Casey, you've got a corporate issued phone. Do, do you have to put a pin number in or do you have to use your fingerprint or smile sweetly at the phone or how do you unlock it? You know, are there some rules that are around that? Yeah, we do. So I typically use like the biometrics um, to unlock my handsets. Um, mm -hmm. But when I installed my corporate apps, um, it actually required a pin rather than biometrics. And it required that pin to be longer than four characters. Fantastic. Yeah. So there's another example of a mobile compliance thing. So so corporate standards might be, well, first of all, you should have a password that that kind of a given, because obviously, if you leave your device unattended, anyone could pick it up and they could start stealing the data out there. So having a password lock or something similar is, is one of those examples of compliance. Um, yep, yeah, you could say whether you know biometrics are acceptable or not, and there's various different schools of thought on whether that's the best method of authenticating. Um, you could put some rules in place, just really simple things. You know, software updates are mega important, exactly the same as in in desktop and laptop world. You, if your device isn't up to date, it might be vulnerable to attack by the cyber criminals because it's. Um, you know, it's not running the latest patched version. So as a, an administrator of a mobile estate, you could say, you know, you need to be on the latest version or this far away from the latest version. Um, so you can put some rules around those kind of things, too. So you've got your password locks, you've got your, your versioning information. Um, you can do some other really clever things with mobile as well. Um, so you could, for example, push certain applications to the mobile estate and you could block certain applications. So if you didn't want people to be using TikTok, for example, or, you know, whatever the latest trend is, then you could put some rules in place around that. But the, the really interesting angle from my point of view is the, the insisting on having certain apps installed. So 
Um, you know, if you've got an organization that's using some kind of two-factor authentication, which is a great idea, by the way, and, and, and uh, props to anyone who's uh, enforcing two-factor authentication, then you could make it easy for users by rolling out that application automatically, you know, so make sure that that's installed. And if it's not installed, then the device is deemed to be non-compliant. So you've got some nice little angles around that sort of thing as well. Mm -hmm. so, so the other angle that needs to be considered as well is what happens if a user does call in and, and, and declare that their mobile device has been lost or it's been stolen. You know, my handbag's been stolen and, and my phone was in there. What, what happens then? Well, the, the mobile platform can do lots of clever things. So under the right set of circumstances, you can choose to use a function to locate the device, which might help a user find it if they've, they've misplaced it. Um, you could also use a functionality to send a lock signal to the device. So if, if the user's declared that you know, they don't know where the device is, then you could make sure that it's at least locked and, and therefore anyone who finds it would have to put the pin number in or do the biometrics or whatever whatever's required. Um, and in a worst case scenario, if we know the device is categorically lost and is never going to be seen again, or if we know that it's been stolen, then we could we could actually send a, a wipe signal and that's going to destroy all the data on the device. So, yeah, the perpetrator of this crime might actually have the handset, but they don't have the data, which when all is said and done is actually probably the most important, the most valuable part. Um, so you, you don't have to worry about any data then, you know, leaking out because it'll be destroyed by the mobile platform. So you've got those elements of control as well. So lots of really clever things that we can do. Um, we can do all of these things for corporate issued devices, but there is an increasing trend for BYOD which is bring your own device if you're not familiar with it so bring your own devices as the as the name suggests um you might work for a company and uh, you know you may choose to have corporate data on your own personal device and as a, as a company you might encourage that because it might boost productivity um but then obviously the question is well how do you make it secure and again the mobile platform can be used to roll out similar levels of protection for bring your own device um as well so you can have the same kind of controls if, if you need to um there are some sensitivities around bring your own device and and obviously the controls that are in place there so you can put the policies in as as and how you want to differentiate between corporate issued device and and, uh, and personal devices as and how you want so there's loads of controls around that which is which is really neat perfect uh, that sounds fantastic john so um how does this kind of play into the software synchronized security message and is this manageable via Software Central as well? Yeah, absolutely. Well, first and foremost, yeah, it is manageable via Software Central. It's obviously mobile devices are inherently internet connected anyway. So, so it's all managed through Software Central in the same way. And you'll be pleased to know that there is a synchronized security story here as well. And actually it's quite, quite a clever one. Um, obviously users have their mobile devices and they might take them home at the weekend and there's always that temptation possibly to um do things they probably shouldn't do with a mobile device so um jailbreaking or routing is is still quite popular um methods really of, of changing the characteristics of the mobile device maybe allowing you to install applications that otherwise shouldn't be on their devices and 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 changing the changing the privileges and settings on the on the device to your liking which is fine but often jailbreaking and routing introduces some significant security risks um, you know, any backdoors that are used to move away from manufacturers' controls could potentially be used by the cyber criminal. So essentially, jailbreaking and routing is a is a bad idea. Um, if you've decided to turn off your password lock or your PIN number or something like that, then you might want some enforcement to make sure that people come back into compliance. And, and synchronized security does all of those things. 
So, for example, if a user decides to take their mobile at home over the weekend, they jailbreak their phone when they rock up at work on Monday morning. If their device and network is all powered by Sophos, so Sophos wireless access points, they will actually look at the compliance of a mobile device. And if, it, if it's not meeting what we need, then they will be given limited wireless access. So you can stop them accessing corporate resources. You could, I guess, potentially cut them off from wireless completely. The idea is that, you know, if that device has gone home and it's been jailbroken or rooted, it could now present a security risk. So we don't want to see that on the corporate network until it's fixed. And I think that's really powerful. You know, if you think about a big office, you know, the network administrator isn't going to frisk everybody on Monday morning to make sure they've got a phone and to make sure it's in compliance. You know, that those levels of visibility just don't exist in the physical world. But Sophos Mobile, in conjunction with our wireless access points, can look at the device and say, well, that's now a corporate uh, risk. So we're not going to allow it onto our network and, until somebody's resolved that problem. Um, so you can also use the, the carrot of email as well to bring in compliance too. Um, so you can choose to block access to uh, company emails until the device is made compliant again. So that that tends to be the, the, the carrot or the stick, depending on your point of view, that gets people back into compliance. So there's some, some nice synchronization messages there as well. But I, I think the really powerful one is the idea that if a device all of a sudden becomes a security risk, that we don't just allow it randomly to connect back to the network again. You've got that really nice level of control in place there. Perfect. Thanks, John. I don't think I have any other questions on mobile. I think you've answered, answered most of them for me already. <laughs> yeah, no worries. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a, it's a relatively simple solution in a lot of respects when you start thinking about what the problems are. The real challenge with mobile is that even now, you know, people don't really realise that it's a security risk. And like mm -hmm. I said, they behave in a much more haphazard way with mobile devices. So it's really important to consider the security of mobile and make sure it's, it's, uh, it's not the weak spot in your protection. Yeah, definitely. De you can see because, you know, we have them in our hands all the time. So you can see how you just wouldn't consider it in that way necessarily. And you might be a bit more haphazard and clicking on links and things like that. So definitely super important. And I'm glad that we can raise some awareness around that. Absolutely. Perfect. Thanks for that, John. That was a whistle stop tour of mobile, but um, definitely a valuable one. So now to close the episode, we'll go to our Ask the Expert segment. Um so at the moment in the press, chat GPT is something I'm hearing a lot of, and obviously not being a school student, not using it for my essays or my reports at the moment, um, but really keen to hear what your thoughts and feelings are on chat GPT as AI and ML are becoming more mainstream in the media. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, it's quite an interesting topic, actually. I'm going to try and keep it focused on cybersecurity. Uh, as much as possible but uh, yeah I mean it is interesting it, it's uh, I, I've had a tinker with it myself and and uh, got it to come up with some some fairly interesting answers to to uh, to questions uh, I hope it doesn't replace me on this podcast actually that might be a bit worrying might it? <laughs> no um, never <laughs> <laughs> but the, the cyber security angle is an interesting one a lot of people have sort of come out of the traps and said look this AI is writing malware here for me and you know the the ceiling is going to cave in and, and the world's going to end as a result. And I think we probably need to exercise a little bit of caution here and, and maybe just calm down a little bit because yes, you can use chat GDP to write code. Um, but you've got to kind of ask it the right questions and whether the caliber of the code that comes out of it is any good or not is, is definitely questionable. I'll tell you what it does highlight there, which I thought was quite fun. So the authors of chat, um, and, and GPT kind of explicitly wrote into the algorithms of the engine that it was not allowed to write ransomware. 
So if you go to chat uh, GPT and say, write me a malware script that does ransomware, it, it should say no. But interestingly, a researcher kind of figured out that what you could do is if you told chat GPT you wanted to create some scripting that would locate a directory and then find all the files in there and then encrypt all of the data in there, which is essentially what ransomware is then it would quite happily do that. It's an interesting thing that simultaneously AI can be mega smart and it can write you an essay and it can answer philosophical questions, but it's also quite naive and didn't work out that actually all the steps that led up to that was basically the same as making me some ransomware. So it got hoodwinked pretty easily. So that, I mean, that shows some caution around AI kind of in general, that when you, you ask it to do complex tasks like that, it might be quite quite powerful, but it still doesn't have the human intuition level that exists with all of us. It's, it's the same kind of concept as, you know, we talked about threat hunting before and contextualization is absolutely everything in these kind of conversations. But I don't think it's really that great at writing malware and, and ransomware and all that kind of stuff just yet, but it, it's definitely one to watch. And I think the future is is going to be more challenging. You know, when you can start to automate these kind of attacks and, and create ransomware and malware quite readily, that's good quality that might be quite worrying, but I don't think we're quite there yet, to be honest. But I do think it, there's definitely cautionary tale there about using AI and, and putting some boundaries and frameworks in to make sure that it, it doesn't do stuff or doesn't get twisted by the user to do stuff that it shouldn't really be doing. One of the boundaries that I was able to push with ChatGPT was actually regarding writing phishing. Um, and it was actually very, very good at doing that. So I actually asked it to write some phishing campaigns that were orientated towards particular companies and uh, particular situations like uh, write a phishing attack targeted towards a new employee, for example. And it, to be fair, it did do a pretty good job of doing those kind of things. Um, so I guess at some point in the future, Casey, we really ought to talk a little bit about the human element of cybersecurity and how sometimes a user can be vulnerable to these kind of scams, because that's one of the places where I think actually this kind of AI is going to get some mileage for the cyber criminals quite quickly, creating content that's really interesting and pertinent to the would-be victim. Mm -hmm. So interesting, we want to watch, I would say. Yeah, definitely. Do you think it's going to be the next thing now? Now, you know, now people are talking about AI and it's becoming a bit more of the general public's vocabulary. It's going to be the next like, oh, my God, the cloud. You can't put anything in the cloud. It's so unsecure. It's so dangerous. It's going to be the AI scaries are going to be coming out. <laughs> well, I mean, maybe. Yeah, but I think AI is probably too deeply embedded in our lives right now for us to really revolt against it. I mean, you know, I wouldn't necessarily trust an autonomous car, but, you know, I've got a, an Alexa sitting in the corner, you know, that's that's using AI, you know. Yeah. Um, even even silly little things like my my fridge freezer has some AI logic to it to <laughs> work out when I'm likely to open the door and this kind of thing. So, you know, I think, I think it's probably too entrenched now, to be honest. Mm. Yeah. Perfect. Cool. I think that rounds up the episode. Thanks, John. See you in the next one. All right, thanks for the questions and yeah, catch you soon.